Good morning, church. It's so good to see everybody in church today. If you don't know, my name is Evan. I am the student pastor today, um, and I'm absolutely honored to be able to preach the word to you today. Um, I want to thank Dad for allowing me to step in the pulpit and to preach to you. It seriously is an absolute honor. And I'm excited to be able to continue our Creed series based on the Apostles' Creed, where we are clarifying the essential truths of the Christian faith. What are the beliefs that truly, really matter that everyone in Christianity can, um, can believe and can profess? Um, the last couple of weeks, we covered God the Father Almighty, and then we talked about the person of Jesus Christ. And can we just take a moment? Didn't Pastor Terrence do an excellent job these past two weeks? Come on, show him some love. Just amazing. Just great. So last week, Pastor Terrence talked about the person of Jesus Christ, and I'm excited because we're moving on specifically to the cross of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did on that cross, why it matters, what it means for our life. So if you would go ahead and throw up on the screen the section of the Apostles' Creed that we're covering today. It says this, he suffered, speaking of Jesus, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. Aren't you thankful for what Jesus did for you on the cross? Amen. Hey, before we continue on, you may not know this, but recently High Praises has released a YouTube channel in which we are putting all of our video messages up later that week after they have been preached. So if you are watching this sometime next week or if you're listening to this on the audio podcast, I want to say thank you so much for joining us at High Praises today virtually, and I hope that God blesses you through it. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to speak on the cross of Jesus Christ and its importance. But before we do that, I want to let you know, recently I celebrated a pretty important anniversary. And before you jump to conclusions, it's not my wedding anniversary, okay? We, have not, we haven't been married quite a year yet. Let me just tell the story, and then we'll get there, and you'll see what I mean. About four years ago, four or five years ago, Elizabeth and I had just started dating, and my parents were going down to Charleston, and so they invited us to come stay with them and hang out and have vacation. So we're having a good time, and while we're there, we decide that we're going to go eat some seafood. We're going to go to a restaurant. So we go, and we all get low country boil. And man, I mean, it is just good. Like, I don't know if you've had, who's had it in the room today? It's so good. You've got all the sausage in there. You've got the, the big potato wedges, and you've got corn on the cob, and you've also got shrimp key part of the low country boil and man it's good and I'm enjoying everything but something was just a little off about the shrimp I just couldn't like put my finger on it but every time that I ate the shrimp it just it was okay but it, it wasn't like I had in the past so either way I power through the meal I'm enjoying it we get done and and dad's like hey um did everybody enjoy your meal and we're all like yeah it's, it's great and I'm like yeah it was it was great but that shrimp it just kind of tasted crunchy like, every time I ate it, I mean, it was just crunchy. Every time I chewed it, was y'all's like that? Then Elizabeth starts looking around, and she sees the shell that everyone had peeled off sitting by their plates. And when she looked at my plate, there was no peeled shell. For the entire meal, I ate unpeeled shrimp. Didn't even know it. Like, I, I didn't even say it was the worst. It's like, ah, it could be better, but it's not that bad. <laughs> like, just going for it. Like, 
so ignorant. Like for some reason, I had no idea that I needed to peel this shrimp. So as you can imagine, my parents and Elizabeth die laughing and just start making fun of me. And if that wasn't worse enough, they bring the waiter over just to join in on the fun. So he's clowning on me. Everybody's making fun of me. And Jaron, who wasn't even there, has now put that date in his phone calendar so that every year when it comes around, I am reminded of the anniversary of eating unpeeled shrimp in Charleston. I am never going to live that down. But I, I just don't know how I did it. I was just completely ignorant to the fact that I needed to peel the shrimp to enjoy it. And I kind of missed out on what could have been a spectacular meal because I didn't know what I was doing. I was misinformed, so I'm just chomping down on some shrimp. Could have tasted better. Who knows the long-term effects it had on my stomach. I got goofed on, and now it's going to be until the day that I die. But as we approach the cross of Christ today, as we approach the crucifixion, here's what I'm afraid of. That some of us have some misunderstandings about the cross, about the cross's importance for us that we found ourselves ignorant of what the cross is really about. And that's not a derogatory term, it just means we just don't know. And so we found ourselves misinformed and some misinformation about the purpose of the cross of Christ and what it is doing, it is damaging our spiritual relationship with God. Here's what I mean. Some of us are, are misinformed in that we believe the cross of Jesus Christ is not all necessary. And I'm speaking specifically to the cultural Christianity crowd that says that as long as I come to church, as long as I tithe occasionally, as long as I drop my kid off at kids camp, as long as I do the religious devotion thing and associate myself with the church, God will just sort of look past my sins, look past my wrongdoing, and I'll kind of earn some favor with him. And it makes the cross of Christ almost meaningless because the relationship with God is based on what we can do for him. But for some of us, it's that we have a misunderstanding that the cross of Christ, we believe, is not all sufficient. That it takes away sins, but maybe it hasn't taken all of my sins. And so we, we walk around with our heads hanging low, filled with guilt and shame about who we used to be, what we used to do, maybe one particular sin, and you've trusted in Jesus to forgive you, but guilt is still there. And for some of you, you don't believe that the cross is for all, that you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you have yet to yield to Jesus because you believe you have out the grace of God, and that the cross may cover some sins, but you've just ran to but the good news of the cross today is that it is necessary, but it is all sufficient, and it is for everyone. Amen, church? So let's look in Romans chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking primarily in verses 20 through 31. Now, in interpreting the Bible context, it may be the most important thing to understanding the Bible. First, you need to look at the, the historical context. Basically, what was going on at the time? Who's the letter written to? Who's receiving it? What's the problem going on? 
And then you need to look at the literary context, which basically means if we're looking at um, chapter 3, verse 20, what happened before that that will help us understand chapter 3, verse 20 and on in the book. So here's what's going on in the day. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and they are a mixed church of Jews and of Gentiles. And so Paul is writing to this church to sort of teach them about the gospel and teach them how to reconcile how both Jews and Gentiles are saved. And he's dealing with one particular problem. See, the Jewish people at that time had a misconception about how they specifically would be saved. See, they believed that because they were Jewish, because they descended from Abraham, and because God had promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a land forever, they interpreted it as eternal life. So therefore, if you are Abraham or any of his physical descendants, you're good. You're saved. And so they thought all they needed to do was sort of keep in step with the Jewish way of life, the religious way of life, align themselves with being a Jew, and God would sort of conveniently look past their sin, sweep it under the rug, and give them eternal life simply because of their religious devotion and their ethnicity. And Paul is going to great links leading up to chapter 3, verse 20, to point out to them this simple truth. That sin is so serious that God will not just sweep it under the rug. And God will not look past your sin because of your religious devotion or your ethnicity or anything. In fact, everyone is a sinner. And as long as you are a sinner, the wrath of God is on that person. That sin is so serious, it must be paid for. And whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you are under sin and you need a Savior. We see this here. He says in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Why? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. He's going to, you receive the law, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and you think it makes you special when in reality it just convicts you of sin because you've all broken that law. And he says this, the righteousness of God apart from, from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. But here's a verse that if you've been in church for a while, you probably know. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is making the point, it doesn't matter who you are, your amount of religious devotion, it doesn't matter if you take a stab at keeping the law, if you've been circumcised, if you observe the seasons and the days. Every single person is guilty of sin, and that sin cannot be looked over. It is so serious, it must be dealt with and paid for. And the problem that we see today is sort of this, this new version of it in Southern cultural Christianity that says, as long as I come to church, drop my kids off at kids camp, as long as I align mostly morally with what the Bible says, as long as I associate myself with Christianity, maybe I prayed a prayer one time, I can keep living my life, but because of the good I do and the devotion I have, me and God have an understanding. Um, a few months ago, me and my wife, Elizabeth, we bought, uh, well, I guess, bought, that sounds so weird. We adopted a dog named Thea. See, she tricked me. She knew what she was doing. She was sneaky. She just said, hey, why don't we go hang out at the Greenville Humane Society today? Hang out. 
I hung out and I came home with a dog. <laughs> but I love him. Great decision, amazing decision. Theo is the man. He's still a little puppy, and he is just the cutest guy. Um, one thing I don't understand, though, is he's old enough now he should be able to fetch. But every time I throw the toy, he just kind of looks at it and runs back to me. Like, I'll be in the backyard and throw it, and he's just like, I don't care. I'm like, where's my discount? Like, my dog can't play fetch. I want 30% off. Like, come on, dude. Anyway, so the other day, we've been trying to bring him inside more and spend some more time with him, and he's been good with it. He's mostly an outside dog, but we'll bring him in, and he's um, usually, he'll stand by the door, or he'll bark at us if he needs to go outside and eat or use the bathroom, so I felt comfortable. I brought him inside, and, you know, we're hanging out, and then I went to another room to put something up, and then when I came back in, I didn't see Theo, but I looked down on the ground, and I saw a huge puddle of dog pee, and you can probably re relate with me. It just sends you into instant rage mode. I'm like, what in the world is this? Are you kidding me? And I look up, and there he is looking at me like all guilty. And then y'all know you've done this. You pick him up, and you make him look at it. You're like, look what you've done. Look what you've done to this house. No, no, bad boy. And then he's a dog, so he's like looking around. You grab his head. You're like, look at it. Look at it now. No, no. And so I'm like yelling at him, and he doesn't know what's going on. Like, he's a dog. So then I'm like so mad, and so I open the door, and I throw him out there. I'm like, oh, I just can't believe this. And then the pettiness level, like, just gets worse and worse. Like, we've got a shed in our backyard, and I had to go put something up. So I'm walking to the shed, and Theo's on the other side of the fence. And I'm just walking with me, looking at me. And so I look over, and he's looking at me. I'm like, don't you look at me. Uh-uh. You peed in the house. You have lost your right to look at me. Like, just uh, ridiculous stuff. And so I go put the thing up. Like, he annoyed me. But after a while, I kind of cooled down. After a while, I realized, all right, it wasn't that big of a deal. He didn't pee on carpet. Cleaned it up. We're good. We're good. And so then I go out there, and then he plays his part. Right? He can't talk, but he sweet talks he sweet talks you. He looks up with those little puppy eyes, and he starts wagging his tail at you. And then now he can't only wag his tail. He wags, like, his whole backside, so he's just standing there like this. It's just adorable. I'm like, I know what you did, but I'm over it. We're, we're cool now. So now me and Theo are back on speaking terms. He can look at me again. We're good. It's fine. Like, it was just a minor annoyance in my life. And after a while, I just, I just we, we struck a deal. And I got over it. And here's the problem that so many of us face today is that we view sin as just a minor annoyance to God. Something that he just sort of doesn't like. And, and because he doesn't like that, I've got to do something to sort of sweet talk him and get him back on my side. And so cultural, nominal Christianity says my religious devotion will please God and sort of Get him back on my good side. I know I'm a sinner. I know I do wrong. But if I can just sort of stay in this lane of going to church and giving to church and I've got my kids involved and, and, all, and I, can, I can claim that this church is my home, then we think we have just sort of pleased God by doing some things that he likes. And then all of a sudden that sin that was just a minor annoyance, he's kind of looked past it, swept it under the rug. It's no big deal. But here's the problem with that. Sin is not just a minor annoyance to God. Sin is serious. See, sin is, is abhorrent to God. It's an affront to his holy character. Sin is looking at God, who is the standard of right and wrong, 
and saying, I know who you are, but I'm going to do the exact opposite because I know better. Sin is no small thing. It is the greatest cosmic crime that one can commit, and everyone has committed it. And so we believe that sin is some small thing that God will forget about, but he doesn't. It's serious. It's spiritually criminal. It's wrong. But two, the problem with with cultural Christianity that says I can just sort of do some things and get on God's good side is we expect God to act different than his nature. You see, God is just, and he can never act outside of his own character. To be just means that you don't let injustice and evil just go by unchecked. But to be just means that all injustice and all evil must be paid for. That's why we have the criminal justice system. So that when someone breaks a law, they must pay for what they have done. They must receive the due penalty. And to believe that we can sweet talk God with our, with our mild religious devotion so that he would look past our sin is to expect God to not punish evil and therefore be unjust. And finally, to subscribe to this Christianity is to make the cross of Christ almost unnecessary. Because now it's no more about Jesus hanging on the cross to pay for my sins. It's about me sweet-talking the Lord through my devotion so that he will look straight past it. Never mind, we're living our lives in sin. Never never mind, we may be destroying our families that we, we think we're okay with God, and so we hold on to our alcohol addiction and get drunk in the evenings, take it out on our wives and children, that we think that we're good with God because of the little things that we do. Never mind, we're, we're still having sinful business practices and taking advantage of people. I went to church three times this month, so it doesn't matter that I'm gossiping with the ladies Thursday at brunch. But sin... It's serious. It cannot be looked over. It must be paid for. And if you find yourself in this room today in the position of cultural Christianity, of going through the motions, I urge you and I beg you, repent. Turn from your sins. Do not keep living this way. That God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He wants to cover your sins, pay for your sins, and make you brand new. Please turn today. But if sin is so serious that it can't just be sort of passed over and looked over, what can anyone do to be right in God's eyes in this life? Here's what he says. We're going to start back at verse 21 to get the whole picture. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Watch this. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness 
Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now look, I know that was a lot. Paul uses a lot of language that we don't typically use in modern English. Let's break this down. What is Paul saying on how we can be saved? He summarizes it in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. That God wants to make you, make you righteous through faith in his son, Jesus. And what does he say? Beginning at verse 24, we're going to break it down. Being justified freely by his grace. Now, what does it mean to be justified? Imagine a courtroom scenario. To be justified is for the judge to slam the gavel down and declare you not guilty. That you are innocent of all of the charges that have been brought against you. It's as if you had never done any of them. You stand clean and innocent before God. God wants to remove your sin and make you innocent. But how? Freely by his grace. When you receive Jesus, you don't have to do anything to earn it, to work for it, to get on God's good side, to earn favor with him. This gift of salvation is free. You could never earn it. It's freely given to you. But how? You're being justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, meaning that God put forth Jesus so that he could get you back. And here is how this works. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. Now, propitiation, that's like a $10 word right there. Here's all that means. It's a sacrifice that appeases the wrath of God. And so as we turn to the cross of Jesus, here is what he is doing. Jesus loves his children so much. He is merciful. God desperately wants all of his creation to come to know him. It is in his character that God is merciful. And yet, God is just. Sin. The great cosmic crime must be paid for so that God wouldn't let injustice just go by. And at the same time, his mercy is going, but I want my children to know me. I want them to have life. I care about them deeply. You can imagine a room where God's mercy and his justice are almost butting heads. They're fighting. They're going back and forth with one another. Justice is saying sin must be paid for, but mercy is saying I love my children. And it's at that moment that God's wisdom came down and brought justice and mercy together, and they kissed. And so what he did is he put forth Jesus as a payment that appeases the wrath of God. Jesus took on human form and represented all of humanity in his body as a full, complete human and as he went up on the cross, he represented you and me and every human ever to live. And as a propitiation, God poured out his punishment and his wrath for all the sins that you've committed, that I've committed, that have ever been committed in this whole world. And he poured it out on Jesus. And he's, as he's suffering there on the cross, one human, one man was taking on the entirety of sin in the world to satisfy God's wrath. 
And that's why Paul says that Jesus, that God can be both the just and the justifier. That he is just because sin went punished to Jesus, but the justifier, but because his wrath was poured out on Jesus, you and I stand guiltless, stand innocent, stand clean. All of our sins were washed away when Jesus took it on the cross. He is both just and the justifier. I don't know if you've seen this recently. I, I came across a YouTube video, and um, it was at a college graduation, and this millionaire or billionaire showed up to the graduation and was giving a speech, and at the very end of the speech, he did something very, very special for these students. Go ahead and check out the screens. You have the power within to be great, be you, be unstoppable, be undeniable, and accomplish the things that people thought you never would. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. My family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. my class will make sure they pay this forward and let's make sure every class has the same opportunity going forward because we are enough to take care of our own community you would want him at your graduation am i right think if i was one of those students i'd just take a victory lap just start sprinting around you'd see me on camera just zoom in but i love this picture here See, all of those, the students had their own debt. Through going to school there, they brought debt upon themselves. And then this man came along, and graciously, he didn't have to. Nobody begged him to. He wasn't expected to, and he wasn't forced to. He shows up. He says, myself, I'm going to pay all of your student debts off down to the last penny. And as we look at the cross of Jesus... I want to remind you that as he hung on that cross, he did not take 50% of your sins, 75% of your sins, 99% of your sins. He eliminated your sin completely on the cross. You don't stand almost justified, almost forgiven, almost innocent. You are clean and free in God's eyes. He bore the total wrath for your sin. But can you imagine if, uh, maybe a few months later, one of those students was hanging out, and their friend came over, and they're like, hey, man, I would love to go out to eat. Do you want to go, go eat real quick? And he's like, man, I just can't do it. And he's like, why not? And he's like, man, these student loans, they got me down. It's just too expensive. I, I got to save money. I just can't do it. And then the friend who came over, came over is like, are you serious? That billionaire dude paid off all of your student loans. And that guy's like, Man, it's just too much. I just can't do it and just kind of like disappeared off. Can you imagine how weird that would be? Because in reality, that guy paid everything in full. So why would, why would the student live as if he still has the debt? And I'm afraid that some of us are in the room today 
and you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, accepted what he did on the cross, and yet you keep living as if all the debt has not been paid. That Satan's got you just hanging your head low in guilt and in shame. That he keeps reminding you of who you used to be, what you used to do, what you did to that one person. And although you've accepted Jesus, you can't accept that my sin, even my sin, is washed clean completely. But the cross of Jesus Christ was not a halfway job. When he went on the cross, he did it right. He bore all the wrath of Jesus. And if you are struggling with guilt and shame and your past, stand knowing that you are forgiven completely. Look up, child, your sins are gone. You don't have to keep living in guilt. You don't have to keep living in shame. You don't have to keep beating yourself up for what you have done. Your sins are gone in Jesus' name. His blood covers all. That's the good news of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is not like hand sanitizer. 99.99% of germs. You're like, well, what about the .01? Can I get the flu through that? Like, kind of wondering. It's all sufficient. It's covered you completely. But maybe you find yourself in this room. You haven't accepted Jesus and then struggled with guilt after. You can't accept Jesus because of your guilt now. What I mean is that you feel like you have out the grace of God. That you've gone too far, you've done too much, you've hurt too many people, you've said too much. And that although the cross is necessary, and although it covers sins, it just can't reach you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. That what Paul is getting at here is it doesn't matter who you are. You have sinned. And you are under the wrath of God. But it doesn't matter who you are. His blood can set you free. You cannot run too far. You cannot out him. No one is in the out-group. His blood is sufficient for all sins, even for yours. Charles Wesley had a, a, a hymn. He said, um, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That's what he does for you. And if you're struggling with that guilt today, that you can't take that step into salvation. Know that what Paul says here is all you have to do is have faith in Jesus. Have faith in his blood. Have faith in his death and his resurrection. That what he did, he did it for you. That's all you got to do to be saved. But finally, 
if we believe that the cross of Jesus Christ is for all people, then we better take this message to all people. If we believe that when Jesus suffered on that cross, it wasn't just for the in-group. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. It wasn't just for the not-too-sinful people. But if on that cross he bore everyone's sins, do we not have a responsibility to take that message to the world? So them, even them, can receive forgiveness through Jesus. So I want to challenge you. Sunday, June 30th, the last Sunday of this month, the last Sunday of this series, I'm challenging you. Get somebody to church that needs salvation. Get someone here. Bring them here so that they can get in this this spirit-filled atmosphere, so that they can hear the word of God preached, so that they could come to know him as Lord and Savior through faith. Next week, we're going to be giving you um, some physical things to help you with your inviting, some things that we're going to put in your hand to go and put in their hand, family, your, your, your co-workers, your friends, whoever, that you can give to them and just say, I love you, God loves you, would you please come to church with me on the 30th? We're also going to be releasing some things online, some things you can put on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever else you have, that you can invite people to church on Sunday, June 30th. And I'm begging you, imploring you, I'm challenging you, please get one person here because it may change their life forever. If Christ hung on the cross for their sins, we have a responsibility to get that message to them.